Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pad, where should everybody go to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You go over there and sign up for the social media accounts and definitely keep those conversations going with us throughout the week. We definitely like interacting with everybody on there. You can also check out the T Public Store. Always a good time to go get some ODPH swag, especially when there is a sale going on. Not one currently, but that's why you always got to go check every day and see when it pops up. You never know when they might do one of those quick 24-hour deals. Public does a really good job with us, and we can't stress it enough. It is the best time to go support the brand when they have a sale going on. Just putting it out there. Also, you can sign up for the Patreon at the website as well. One tier, $2, and bonus content delivered straight to you. So you definitely want don't want to miss out on that. You can also check out the Parlay Points blog section, the Classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The Music section, the Directory. Pad, how many providers are we on? 517,000. Sounds about right to me. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap a show that came out previously yeah, a couple weeks ago it's been one that's been on our radars and there's been a lot going on that we haven't been able to give it its proper due but now we feel it is time to talk about this because it is a big show in the star wars mythos and obviously when you're talking star wars especially in the month of may mm-hmm. it is always a big deal may the fourth revenge of the fifth mm-hmm. so that being said a show did come out in the Star Wars universe and was a little overshadowed by the finale of The Mandalorian. It is yeah, what it is. Yeah. But you can't fault it. It The Mandalorian is just on a whole different playing field. But this show was a sequel of sorts, and it's one that stands out for being different. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, what show is that? This is Star Wars Visions. Yeah, so why don't you give our listening audience a little breakdown about what the concept is behind this. So Star Wars Visions is a set of short stories, you know, not tied into the canon at all. You know, so you don't have you, this is the nice thing with with these shorts is you don't have to be an aficionado of Star Wars, even if you've just seen one of the movies and, you know, basically anything through pop. If you know enough through pop culture and you've seen maybe at least one of the movies, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to know what happens in the sequel trilogy, what happens in the prequel trilogy, what happens in the original trilogy. You don't need, need to have kept up with the comics or the books or the video games or, or the board games or the, the trading card game that's coming out. So, like, no, as long as you know enough of what goes on and like enough about, you know, who Jedi are, Sith are, you know, the dark side, light side, you know, basically the basics of Star Wars. You can watch this show and I think on some level enjoy this because, it you know, it's it's told through the lens of a, bu- a bunch of different 
animation studios from all over the world. Season one was all Japanese animation studios. Season two, they decided to open it up. There's still a couple that are, are Japanese animation studios, but they opened it up to France, England, India, you know, and a, a whole bunch of others, you know, and it, and it kind of gives them the freedom with not being canon to, hey, you don't have to worry about the story you want to tell and being constrained to, well, you can show this character. You don't have, you can't show that character X, Y, and Z happen, have to happen by the end of the show. No, like it's completely free. They can do whatever they want and basically use the universe as a, as a sandbox to tell their own story. It's a very cool concept. And obviously coming out of the success of season one, we weren't sure if they were going to do a season two. We thought they were, and then when yeah. it was announced, and hearing they were opening it up to a, a broader audience right. for the production, I thought was a very cool nod because mm-hmm. the one thing is when we always talk about the pop culture audience, it's a worldwide audience. Oh, it is. And the interpretations that fans have all over the world of one fandom yeah. is very cool to see because – you don't want to. Nobody has the same vision. No, no pun intended. Everybody has a different interpretation of what Star Wars means to them. Yeah, or what a Star Wars story would be to them. Yeah, and that brings out some of the best creativity on the planet. And seeing it done in this show format, I think, really works. Oh, absolutely. You know, like you said, we didn't know when it was if we were going to get season two, season one, or volume one. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Air originally dropped on September 22nd, 2021. Uh, volume two came out May May the 4th, 2023. So about a year and a half. Let's round up round numbers. But like you said, it's always cool to see different perspectives and different takes on Star Wars. The one that sticks out to me is in the 90s, I want to say, right around the time the, the original trilogy was getting re-released. There was a manga adaptation of the original Star Wars mm-hmm. movies that it's the story, you know, but it's from an art style that is seen would seem foreign to star Wars, but it works. And I highly recommend you check it out. Like I said, came out in the nineties. So odds are, unless you find it on eBay, you're probably not going to be able to go to like your local store or Barnes and Noble and find it, but I'm sure you can find it through some uh, other means dot, dot, dot. But mm-hmm. no, it's, it's awesome to see all these other animation studios get an opportunity to do this. No, I fully agree. And I think that, we need to see more of this yeah. in, the, in the different fandoms, not just Star Wars. But I think when you bring this vision, and once again, no pun intended, but when you bring these elements to life in your own interpretations, I think that it just really shows about how Star Wars connects with people on a, just a different level. And same thing with all I guess going to all the fandoms. Nobody sees everything the same. No. And seeing just the collective energies getting brought to the forefront, I think is just very cool. I love the concept behind the show. And I want to see more of this throughout the fandoms. I say it doesn't matter if it's Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you name it. I love seeing stuff like this. And I think that this is why the show just really hits a home run with fans because we see so much of the same things. Mm -hmm. That When you do something that's a little left to center. Yeah. It's going to stand out for good or for bad. And I think in this show's case, I think there's been more hit than miss. Yeah. But that being said, 
We, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Definitely drop a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does help the algorithm. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement about what we're going to talk about, and then we give a countdown after where we give you fair warning we are going to be talking spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show yet and you need to duck out for whatever reason, we put in the timestamps of each episode, so you can definitely duck out and then pop back in when you've caught up. Otherwise, stay tuned for all the spoiler talk because we go heavy, deep diving into the shows that we discuss on here. So last week's episode, we gave a spoiler-free statement on this, but we're going to go and give a revised spoiler-free statement right now. So, Pad, what is your spoiler-free statement involving Volume 2 of Star Wars Visions? I loved Volume 1. Volume 1 was such a breath of fresh air for, for Star Wars that, like, it didn't necessarily need, but it was awesome to see, you know, because for as controversial and, and you know, polarizing as the films have been and, and you got the show, which, you know, people have different opinion. The shows people have different opinions on volume one was was just universally loved, mm-hmm. you know, for for visions that when volume two dropped, I was like, all right. It's more than just Japanese animation studios. This is going to be cool to see what they can, what these other studios can do, you know, just kind of their takes on it. Cause like you said, everybody has a different vision. Everyone sees it and interprets it differently. So I had no idea what I was going to expect going into this. And it was just such a breath and, and a depth of different interpretations and different styles and different artistic styles mm-hmm. that I thought was awesome. And there were some of these stories that, you know, I'd like to see kind of like expanded on and maybe see a little bit more of. Yeah. I'm with you on this. I know that there was a lot in the fan base that wasn't completely on board with this. Sure. And I think it all comes down to the core essence of what the show is about. It's about difference. It's about unique interpretations Mm -hmm. not everything is going to be looking the same sounding the same it's just a different vibe with the script and the characters and you know how they bring their stories to life yeah and i think when you get that with this show you need to factor that in when you watch i think if you're looking for it to be a sequel completely right of what we saw last season you are going to be disappointed but if you are like me and you want to see something different and you want it to be a whole experience that wasn't like what we just saw in the previous volume, you're going to really enjoy this season. And I did. I think that there's a few episodes in here, especially that really stood out. And I think surpassed the ones I loved from volume one. Mm -hmm. I think there was some that I was like, I saw what they were going with, and it didn't connect with me. Right. But I'm not going visceral and be like, oh, my gosh, it's the worst thing I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. No. I think for what they did, they expanded the ideas, and they really went some places with it. Some hit, some didn't. Right. But I think it all comes down to what this core essence is about, and that's visions and what you envision Star Wars to you. And that's why I say I I think the series is a smash, and I want to see more. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what this show is, is what every kid who has ever watched Star Wars does in their backyard and on the playground. Mm -hmm. We're sure there are some times on the playground you might reenact your favorite scene from one of the movies. Oh, sure. But ultimately, what has every kid who's ever seen Star Wars gone into their backyard and done? Obviously, nowadays, you got those fancy schmancy lightsabers that you can play with, but we didn't have those before. So, like, you'd pick up a, a, a... a stick from your tree that fell in your backyard and you and your brother or your sister or one of the neighborhood kids, you'd go in the back and like, you come up with a story where 
someone's the good guy, someone's the bad guy, and you're trying to get something done. And that's ultimately what this is at the end of the day. Just it's put to the screen and brought to life. Absolutely. So that said, let's get into that spoiler talk. So, Pad, in three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, this volume two, I think for me, surpassed volume one. And and I think part of that was because it was just, again, different from what we saw in volume one. Don't get me wrong. I love volume one. Volume, mm-hmm. volume one was incredible. But this was just, it wasn't, you could have easily done wash, rinse, repeat, you know, so the same look, the, some of the same studios, maybe a couple different new ones in there, you know, but just kind of stuck with the same formula that worked the first time. But they didn't. They took a risk. You know, they decided to reach out and, and expand on the studios that worked on this a little bit. And I think it paid off for them. I agree with you. Some of the stories were better than others. And some of them, so these really stick out to me. Is like, that was phenomenal. And I would love to see more of, you know, but overall, highly recommend this season. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I thought for the whole sum of the parts, it was a very good season because they went some places I was not expecting. Right. And that's what I want to see with this show. I don't want to see everything that it feels the same. And not saying season one did that, but I think a lot of the stories kind of had, you know, the same kind of vibe. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's Star Wars. That's Star Wars. But I think this season, they went some places that it felt different at times. Some I thought, yeah, this seems a little too similar to something I've seen. Sure. But I was never going, I hate this. Like, I don't like this. Like, I'm sorry, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't do that with shows. You know, like I say, for what they tried doing, this was a different idea. And that's why, at the core, this works. Mm -hmm. And like I say, there's a few episodes on here that I thought really jumped out. There's some, like, I thought in how they were released, it was a slower start for me, personally. Sure. Until we got to episode three, Mm. entitled In the Stars. And that was done by Punk Robot mm-hmm. for the animation. Yeah. I thought that that was a very cool claymation type story yeah. involving two sisters on a planet. And mm-hmm. the Empire comes there and you see how they're fighting back. And it almost went into like an environmental story. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. And I think like for where it started to where it finished. Mm hmm. I thought it was really well done. Oh, it was, yeah. Because they still tied it into the Star Wars universe and the myth of the Force. Yep. And how it comes to you when you least expect it. Mm-hmm. And especially with the one character, Koten, mm-hmm. uh, who is taken capture by the Empire, who's destroying the planet for yeah. their own, you know, their own wicked ways, and is having the standoff with the one. Uh, head person, yeah, of the Empire. Group I, think, there. I think it was just called Officer. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know if they said a name. I don't think they did say a name. Like they just, they just referred to him as Officer. Yeah. So when you see that standoff going on, and like it builds for the entire episode, and we have to remember too, these episodes are short. Mm-hmm. They're not drawn out. I like, think the longest one was maybe nineteen, twenty minutes. Yes. You're right. Yeah, no, it's it's you can easily do it in an afternoon if you have the day off. Mm-hmm. And I think for where this connected too, like I said, the story moved very like it started very slow because I think they were trying to show about how the planet was being destroyed, the empire mm-hmm. was coming there, and and yeah, and t- like I say, they tied it into a lot to the environment. Yeah, but which happens a lot when you're talking about the empire, you know, in depending on when you look at it, but a lot of the time with the empire, they're not showing up to the to a planet they don't 
subjugate going hey we're gonna bring you the light and good things about the no they're they're coming to like take your shit and leave yeah and you see how these sisters fight back and the one is uh sitting there and just having to deal with the officer yeah holding her over the edge of the building good lord which was a crazy scene going that was coton yeah and her sister tachina i think so yeah i believe that's how it's pronounced uh, was sitting there with a bow staff just fighting everybody off. Yeah. And it just went into this really crazy fight sequence, and then Coton was thrown off the bridge, and then you see her flying, and then you see Tachina is using the force yeah. to bring her back. Because like, there, there, there's that slow motion moment where, like, you know, the sister's falling in, falling into the, the, the crevice, the pit, whatever you want to call it, and it's like, oh, shit, like, she's about to die, and then... The only thing missing was like the John Williams music in the background kicking in if this was one of the movies. Mm -hmm. But you just see that moment where she starts using the force and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And that's and it played perfectly into the the mythos of Star Wars. So, like I say, when you see this going and the two sisters are uniting and then they they join hands to unleash the force to stop yeah. one of the, the monster uh, Empire droids there. Yeah. It just it plays right into the what you love about star Wars, which I mean, ultimately it's good versus evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how it's, it's just always broken down. Yeah. And even how they resolved it, it they still tied it back to the environment because they go to, to look up in the stars and they find one that they believe is their mother looking down on them, which right. is something that yeah. the, the one sister was denying originally happening. But you saw that Tachina was, you know, fully keeping that hope alive. Mm -hmm. And then you see like how they're just resolving that. Yeah, there is, hope in the galaxy and like i say it just it ties back to star wars completely yeah so like i say it was one of my favorite episodes i mean pad did you have one that stuck out to you uh of the that one certainly stuck out to me the one that stuck out to me not necessarily for the story the story was okay but just visually it was it really threw me for a minute I'm like wait whoa this is this is different was the first one sith where you know it's set during the high republic so it's 500 300 to 300 years before the the movies mm. and you've got and we meet this this girl this woman on a planet or someplace it's, it's hard to tell because the characters in this are kind of like fully developed and you see all the drawings in this and that but nothing in the background is mm -hmm. it's this like abstract art like you see brief glimpses of stuff but it's not necessarily you know fully developed which i thought was odd at first but i'm like you know what I'm kind of gelling with this. This, yeah. is, this is different, but I like it. You know, and this and it's the story about how she's on in the solitude and on a desolate planet. She's got her droid, you know, and they're trying to and she likes to paint. She's just painting. But ultimately, much like with what happens in Star Wars, as much as you try to escape the past. Hello, Yoda. Hello, Luke Skywalker. It comes back to find you mm -hmm. that like you have a, you know, you have a destiny as much as you try to escape it. This destiny will find you. And, and we come to find out she's a former Sith apprentice and her Sith master, you know, shows up on the planet ship, whatever this thing is. <clears throat> and they ultimately end up having this duel, much like we see with the Sith. You know, it's the rule of two, a master and an apprentice, one to cultivate the power, another to crave it. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately with the rule of two. The, the apprentice has to kill the master. Yeah. They're like, it's just a part of how it goes. And, and you know, this is the test. And, and ultimately, you know, Lola, who is the one in hiding, passes the test and kills the master. And with the master's dying breath goes, oh, well, you're the Sith master now. And she kind of walks away going, well, shit, I guess I am. But then she's like, no, you know what? I'm going to go make my own path. 
Yeah. You know, was all, the story was super simple and nothing crazy, but just the art style was visually stunning. Yeah, they really took a unique take on this. I know that kind of sounds weird saying, but it, it's something that they really ran with in a different direction. And I, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed it, too, because like I say, it's something visually we have not seen before mixed in. I mean, sure, the storyline, I don't want to say was simple, but it's very familiar to Star Wars fans. Yeah. But to see how it was presented, like I say, it really stuck out and really jumped out to me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of tied into a little bit the same idea of the story a little bit for what was my favorite one of the series. Okay. And that was Journey to the Dark Head, mm. number five. Okay. And I love the art style by Studio Mirror here mm-hmm. and just really showing about how you have to have a apprentice of the Jedi go and take out a Sith Lord. Right. And just how things have aged, and you're seeing how this one Sith Lord really like was just like a, a unique vision with almost like a symbiotic chain yeah. going on too. And just how they had to do the fight off and how they overcome those odds. And you see it ties back into the mythos and just keeps things very simple. But you also see how the one is trying to conquer their anger by doing things the right way mm-hmm. and how it plays in there and how the two, you know, he f- winds up fighting and gets an ally along this way. So you almost see like the Jedi reborn right happening here. I thought the animation style from this looked a little familiar and I looked them up on uh, Wikipedia for uh, studio mirror and yeah, no wonder that it looked fucking familiar. Uh, some of the TV series they've worked on legend of Korra. Voltron Legacy Defender, ah, Young Justice Outsiders, Young Justice Phantom, Harley Quinn, and some of the films they've worked on. The Death of Superman, uh, the 2018 film, uh, Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, Batman Soul of the Dragon, The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf, uh, and then also Batman and Superman, Battle of the Super Sons. So no wonder this looked friggin' familiar. I'm like, this, look, this animation style looks really familiar, but I was in the middle of binging them, so I didn't stop to look it up. I did not bother to look up either. So, but the minute you connected with Voltron, yeah, that makes so much I'm sense. Like, ah, that's why the animation looks familiar. No wonder I love this show. This, you know, like well, the show in general, but this episode in particular, yeah, because I love the Voltron show that was on Netflix. So, mm-hmm. like I said, this this worked out perfectly for me. Yeah, so. I like I say, there is a lot of wind going on with this, and the, the other one that really stuck out to me, and much like in the same vein of Sith episode mm-hmm. one. The Spy Dancer, number six. This was my favorite episode of the entire uh, season. Yeah, this one by Studio La Chalette. Yeah, it's a French animation studio. Yeah, this was very, very different visually. And I, I don't know what it is, but there was just something that like... It had a vibe to it. Once it started and once it got everything set up, because it started like it started off and you heard the voice and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a... Because like I said, I was in the middle of binging all of these and I wasn't stopping to like look up and go, okay, who's the animation studio that did this? Where are they from? But as soon as we started hearing the voices, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, French voices, this is a French studio... And once you got all the pieces in place and we find out it's this planet with a high class club and, and you see the stormtroopers there on their off time, which is admittedly, we see it in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. with, with the clones that there's a bar on Coruscant that they like to go to. And it's like you see in the prequels, they like to go out and drink and then sh- schmaz and have fun. But you never see this in the original trilogy or even the sequel trilogy with the First Order troopers that like, because at that point, they're average Joes, average Janes. Mm -hmm. They have lives. They have personalities. They're not all cookie cutters. 
but it was just something different that I'm like that just I just connected with and I'm like this is awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. This just had a different energy to it. And especially just looking at the downtime, which, I mean, how weird is that to say? It was wild because we the entire prequel, tri- not prequel, original trilogy is from basically, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia's perspective. The, the only time we see stormtroopers are, well, when they're blasting at them. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that these are these are average folks. We find that out later in the books and in the comics or whatever, but you can just tell by the voices this isn't the same per- person. You know, these are different voices, so these are people. So presumably they have lives and they have downtime and they have likes and dislikes and, you know, favorite places to go and favorite activities, but you just never think of it. But to see them in a light that's not, hey, we're these bumbling idiots that are, you know, the force of the empire that are sent to destroy worlds and subjugate entire species Mm -hmm. was it was different to see. And I loved it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Like this one definitely stood out to me. And I just love the presentation. The story was awesome, too. Yeah, the story was very, very cool. You know, the story of, of it's this rebel plot on this high class in this high class club where they're they're putting on shows and it's this high, high acrobatic dance routine that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the dancer who goes out there, who I believe uh, Lole uh, is, was her name. Yes. You know, she's doing this. She's the star attraction. Everyone comes to see her and she's doing these crazy looking dance moves with, you know, fabric and dancing through the air and all this stuff. But while she's doing it, she's throwing tracking devices Onto the stormtroopers, yeah, and using it as a way to track the empire and what they're doing, and relay the information to the Rebel Alliance because this is in the this is supposed to be in the middle of the of the uh, battle with the rebels and the empire. Well, she comes across and she's swinging and she sees there's a high class guy and and high well not necessarily high class but high ranking mm-hmm. uh, guy in one of the booths and she goes up because she's like oh shit you know high value target I got to go for this and she gets up there and she sees the the silhouette. We don't see the face, but she must have, because all of a sudden it launches into this flashback for her and it's, and it's her past and she's on a planet and the empire shows up and a child gets taken and she sees him and falls to the ground from like a ridiculous height. And, and just, it launches into the story of, she realizes who the guy is, that it's not the empire, the empire person who showed up on the planet and took this kid. It's her kid. Mm. And it's the story of she wants to, she thought the kid was dead or gone or captured or, you know, put into some sort of labor camp someplace, you know. But all of a sudden, no, the kid's alive. The kid's doing as well as he could given the circumstances. And she wants to connect with him. And it's, and it's her battle because the kid's so indoctrinated into the empire mindset of trying to get through to him that like you get to the end. And this is one of the stories I would love to see if they do volume three, do a follow up of this. Yeah. Because just the way they end it, where she finally makes that connection with him and, and he initially wants to throw her in jail and have her arrested. And all that, but like she shows the hologram, you know, the family, por- yeah, the, fam- that, the family portrait of that her, moment, her and the kid. And he just pauses. Yeah. And he lets her go, and she gives him the picture. And then at the end, it cuts to him on the Star Destroyer looking out the viewport from the bridge, and it's just him looking at the the family portrait mm-hmm. of, of his mother and him. Like, all of a sudden, he realizes, that, realizes there's more to the galaxy that, like, I would love to see a follow-up of this. Yeah, I, that's one thing they haven't done yet, and I'm... I would love to see that too. Like I say, with some of the stories, we even from volume one, I would love to see yeah. some follow ups. Yeah. 
I understand why they haven't done it yet, but this is the one great thing about when you see these stories come to life. Like, this is something that really I don't think any fan was expecting. No. To be honest with you. And then you get this, and it's like you get so entranced with it that you want to see more. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just goes to show about, like, how the different mindsets interpret Star Wars. Like I say, I might refer to this many times throughout the segment, but it's the truth. That is. Because that's where this show works flawlessly. Yeah. Is it allows creators to create. Yeah. And with a wide open playbook, because they don't involve any of the major characters of Star Wars, just the mythos. And yeah. I mean, yeah. stormtroopers are stormtroopers. Yeah. So you can kind of just throw that out the window, so to speak. Like they're not major players, but they are recognizable. Right. But that's that's why, like I said with this the show, as long as you know who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, you're good. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to know much else. Because yeah. Luke doesn't show up in this show, no, no one from the prequels, sequels, or or original trilogy show up in this in the in these seasons. Like as long as you know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, you're good. I think they did a really good job about that throughout each episode too. Yeah, I thought that was something that really stuck out to me. Yeah, is they all that was one common theme that I think most of the episodes had. Yeah, is they dived into the Jedi versus Empire vibe. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't keep anything just one direction, so to sure, speak. Sure, sure. But I think that they really just ultimately played back to that theme. Right. I Because th- I think ultimately that's what people are most familiar with. It's mm-hmm. the Jedi versus Sith. It's the Rebel Alliance versus the Empire. Because while the looks have changed over the years, I mean, you look at some of the stuff, go ahead and Google some of the panels from Star Wars The High Republic and mm-hmm. just look at, or even just Google Jedi robes, the High Republic, and just look at how different they are from what you might be used to in the prequel trilogy. You know, or what Luke wore, or what you saw in in the sequel trilogy. That, but that like as much as things have changed, and as deep and as vast as this galaxy is, with what we've seen from you know Bad Batch and some of the stuff in Clone Wars and and the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and what I'm sure we're gonna see with Ahsoka, that like they could have gone that route and we could have seen like some sort of seedy underbelly smuggling ring set on Corellia or something like that and really gone out there, but like. They kept it to what people know, the Rebel Alliance versus the Empire, the Jedi versus the Sith, because that's what everyone is familiar with. Even if you've only, like I said, even if you've only seen half of a Star Wars movie, you, you're familiar with who the Jedi are. You're familiar with who the Sith are. You know, the Rebel Alliance, you know, the Empire. Is there anything that you would have done differently this season? Like if you were creating, is there any episode that stuck out to you that was like, eh, this was just really far off base? Um, Not really. I mean, there were some that necessarily didn't didn't hit with me you know screechers reach was kind of like eh, you know eh, whatever but like i didn't hate it yeah so i i don't think there's anything i would have drastically done different with this I, th- I think as is it's as good as it could have been i agree with you i, I think i don't want to say it was the worst episode because I, I i think that's too strong yeah but i do agree with you screechers reach episode two that one i don't think connected with me as much yeah i think they tried doing too much in that episode yeah that it just it got away from I think where they wanted to go with it. Yeah. And at least for me watching, I was like, it didn't connect as much. Right. Not it, saying it's bad though. Right. I mean, the last two uh, in the pit and then Owl's song. Like I initially, I didn't think I was going to care because like it started out off I'm like yeah okay. By the end of it, I was like okay wow that was really like captivating and really hit with me emotionally. Yeah. Especially the the last one Owl's song was just I'm like because it threw you for a loop because you almost got like essentially the Star Wars opening crawl t- uh, title crawl. 
with yeah. like the description of what was going on. And I'm like, oh, hey, this this is something we haven't seen in, in two seasons. And initially the story's going on and I'm like, oh, okay, sure, fine, whatever. But then you just get to the end and you're like, wow. I'm glad you brought that up because it did remind me about the crawl. Yeah, that like, like I was watching it the other night and, and like I said, there's I think like 18 episodes through these two seasons. Yeah, nine first season, nine second season. So there's like 18 episodes. As familiar as it is to get the Star Wars opening crawl, there's like, I forget how many movies with the opening crawl. It threw me for a fucking loop to see that. Then I'm yeah. like, wait, whoa, hello. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And I think it was a nice way to kind of wrap things up for where yeah. it's going to leave now. Because as we record, we have not heard anything about Visions 3. No. I would imagine, though, they're going to do another one. Probably. And I and I can't blame them, you know, if they did. I really can't. This is a series that you can really continuously do, and I don't think anybody's going to get mad about it. No, I don't think so. This isn't anything that, in comparison to, like, the live-action shows, mm-hmm. that fans are very picky about, shall sure, I say? Sure, sure. That, obviously, the standards are very, very high That with the mythos and how everything ties into the, the original movies. I think, though, they get a little more scrutiny. Yeah. This show doesn't. Yeah. This show is really just let loose on the creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that each episode really dives into that. Yeah. I think they play off the themes. And like I say, it's very simple themes for the most part, except I think episode two tried doing a little too much. Yeah. In my opinion. But that's just, yeah. like I say, that's how I interpret it. But all overall, I think it just really captured what you like about Star Wars and to see the different art styles, like the abstract. And, the, you, and they've really just barely scratched the surface with with art styles and animation studios they can work with. Yeah. You know, there there are some that I can think of out there that I would love to see do a story with this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's there's so much more to be told with this franchise that we need to see more. Oh, so you get any of the major animation studios that work on, say, like Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. you know, Dragon Ball, Naruto, or in this case, it's Baruto these days. You know, My Hero Academia, like any of those major animation studios to do a Star Wars story. Holy fuck. Yeah. And I think that that this show kind of opens that door a little bit that why not? Yeah. Put it out there and see it. Will it will it be an automatic home run? No, nothing ever is. But I think if you do this and you do it well, like these two past volumes have been. Yeah. It opens that door. It gets that talk going. And then somebody is going to be sitting there, wherever they're watching around the world, saying, you know what? I want to take a shot at this. Mm-hmm. Let me give it a shot. And then you never know. It might get picked up to do it. And then you run from there. And then you show it to the rest of the world. And it's just it connects because at the end of the day, it's all about appreciating the fandom and really having your fandom be heard. Pat, final thoughts on this season. Fantastic season. Like I said, as long as you know the bare minimum and the basics for star Wars, you can enjoy this on some level. I, you know, some episodes are better than others, but overall this is a fantastic season and it, and it builds off of what worked for season one. And I sincerely hope they make a season three, you know, with whatever studios are willing to do it. I do not care. I will watch them all. Oh, absolutely. I think this goes to show when you allow creativity to breathe, you can really grow into something special and something memorable. That's what this show does. It takes in so many different genres and styles and makes it work all with the same themes that we know and love with this franchise that you can't go wrong with it. And like I say, some episodes are going to hit with you more than others, but that is just because your fandoms are different. But when it clicks, it really hits. 
And it's going to be something that I hope they do a volume three. And I hope they really kind of keep pushing the envelope of where this creativity can go because this series is something special. It doesn't get a lot of praise, but it's one that if you're a fan, you're definitely going to want to watch this on Disney plus nine episodes are up right now for volume two. So you definitely want to make sure you take the time to check it out. And then it hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Star Wars Visions Volume 2? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything live stream for the Cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I am the host of the live stream for the Cure an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together, and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date, and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk some CW slash DC Universe news. Hell yeah. Now, this week is the calm before the storm, so to speak. Uh-huh. There is no new Superman and Lois as we record. Because reasons. Reasons. But they will be back the following week. Yes. And it's presumed at this point that that might be the mid-season break. <sighs> Maybe. We don't know yet. We're still trying to... I hate mid-season breaks. I, th- I think so, because we have to go dig in a little bit for this. And also next week is going to be the series finale of The Flash. Oh. So in the meantime, it's a perfect time to get caught up on those shows. Now, The Flash, as we've talked about previous times this season, uh, has not exactly been running on a full tank. I'm still playing catch-up, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, not It's not high on the priorities. No, I mean, other than seeing Stephen Amell reprise the role of Oliver Queen, there really hasn't been enough for me personally to go dive back in. I've heard uh, what's been going on, so I definitely will be checking out next week's finale just because we got here. But it has been long surpassed by another show as being the flagship of the DC Comics universe on the CW. Now, for however long that's still going to be is anybody's guess because there's a lot of rumors going around that this show that we're going to be talking about is going to be leaving for the newly christened Max. Well, that's assuming the writer strike ever ends, but, you know. Right, but like I said, the network is going to be doing, you know, whatever it's going to do. Yeah. Should the strike end, and hopefully soon, and in the writer's favor, by the way. Yeah, no, because I know it was Tyler Hoechlin was at a convention of some sort. Don't ask me which one. I didn't see which one, but I did see he was at a convention of some sort, and he was at a panel, and there was a QA. and a and he was asked if there was going to be a fourth season of uh, Superman and Lois. And he did say he he would like there to be one, but given the current situation in Hollywood, he has no idea, and it's really not up to him. Right. So he doesn't know. So odds are the studio doesn't know, and we'll, we'll find out. Obviously, we're waiting to see how the strike resolves itself, and yeah. then it goes to the next rumor if they're leaving the network, which could happen. Could I mean, there, there's so much uncertainty going on right now, 
The only thing we know for sure is that Superman and Lois has been on point since they've yeah. returned for season three. Yeah. And obviously there is a lot going on this season with new villains showing up, one of which being Bruno Mannheim, played by Chad L. Coleman, mm-hmm. and bringing Intergang to Smallville in some capacity, yeah. but setting up for what we've all been waiting for as Superman fans, and that is Lex Luthor to be officially on the show. The dude's name is getting dropped weekly, and we've yet to see hide or hair of him. Yes, but I would bank that we are going to see him a little more next episode. Uh, and without going into spoilers, I'm going to give you this. He ain't going to be happy. No, he's not going to be happy. <laughs> if you've been watching, you know what I mean. If you haven't, boy, strap in. Yes, because the series, as Pad Lelou mentioned, Tyler Hoechlin is playing the title role of Clark Kent slash Superman. Elizabeth Tolick is playing Lois Lane. And how their family is bracing for what is presumed to be the return of Lex Luthor is going to be just something fun to watch on TV as we have the classic rivalry reborn. It's going to be like a freight train going downhill. You can't stop it. You got to get out of the way. Right. But until we get there, we have to recap the last episode, which we did not have a chance to fully deep dive into. And that is guess who's coming to dinner. So much like the first segment, we're going to give you our spoiler free statement, give you the countdown and then spoiler time. So pad, Give me your spoiler-free statement on guess who's coming to dinner. This episode was great. This episode was riveting. It was uh, kept me on the edge of my seat for a good portion of it, although admittedly saw the ending coming, the little cliffhanger they left us with, because the way things played out the way they did, I was like, oh, shit, I know how this is going to get re- I know how this is going to get resolved. And then it played out, and I was watching with my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, who's really grown to love the show. And <laughs> her and I went, I, I said what I thought was going to happen, and she's like, oh, maybe. And I, I, it happened, and I looked at her, and I'm like, God damn it, I hate it when I'm wrong. Or I hate it when I'm right. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you there. I thought it was a little telegraphed as we talked. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't anything bad. I think no. the show definitely was hitting its stride. And come to find out that we were actually wrong. There is going to be uh, not mid-season break coming up just hey. yet. There's a couple more episodes lined up for May, so we're super excited to check those out. All right. But it goes into what the show is doing. Like, I wouldn't doubt that they're setting up for the mid-season finale. Probably. Because how this episode played out really tipped its hat that there's only so much they're going to do moving forward with the Bruno Mannheim storyline. Mm-hmm. That I think that's going to get ultimately tied up and completed mm-hmm. sooner than later. And I'm sad to see it go because, like I say, I've loved what they've done with Chad L. Coleman yeah. in, in that role of Bruno Mannheim. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that storyline and seeing what they're doing. And this episode definitely sped things up. Yeah. And how the last frame of this episode went. Yeah. I think they're definitely going to be hitting the gas pedal and speeding to the finish line for yeah. the next season. Because all signs are now starting to point towards Luthor. Mm-hmm. And when he shows up, <laughs> oh, shit. it's a whole different ballgame. But in the meantime, though, arguably their strongest episode of the season, and there's a lot to break down on this one. So you know what time it is in three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Well, I agree with you. It was probably their best episode of the season. There's a lot going on with this. There wasn't any part of this. And I'm like, oh, all right, just move on. Get, get to the next part. I don't care about this. You know, all the stories and all the plots going on with this were great, you know, and just the way it developed was kind of like a movie in a certain way. I'm not talking like a blockbuster, you know, you know, Avengers Endgame level story where it's like it's a build up. In the, but no, it felt like, you know, we're watching a little bit of maybe like a mystery movie with like we got stuff going on. We're starting to we're starting to put the puzzle pieces together and it's starting to come together and the characters are figuring it out. It was it was a good build and I enjoyed it. 
it was a great build for a subplot that was going on, but how they ended things, that's the big takeaway because we had a huge reveal and then that final frame where we're now going back to Bizarro really is setting up for an interesting dynamic heading into, like we touched upon, the presumed mid-season finale. Because, like I say, they usually take a break right around episode 10. Right. So it's not to say it's official. I thought it was just doing the math by this. Right. Because, obviously, with the show, you know that there's a point where we take that break, we come back in, it starts a new storyline. That's something they've been doing more recently on the DC Universe shows. Right, but the the thing that kind of confuses me is they're done filming. So typ- yeah. typically with, with these shows, you know, they're not done filming. they got to let the production get a little bit ahead of where the, the television airs, the, the television is. But, like, it, it's it been done for quite some time. Let me see here. Casting, filming. There it is. Uh, so, according to the Wikipedia page for Season 3 of Superman and Lois, filming for season the season began on September 6th, 2022 in Vancouver and concluded on March 14th, 2023. So, they're done. They've been done for about a month now. So, the only thing I can think of is maybe they need some time off just to finish some of the special effects That's and, what I'm and, guessing. and the visual stuff. Well, you would figure... With you're you're now bringing back Bizarro Superman. I I hate seeing inverse, but you're bringing it's, it's back, Bizarro. It's Bizarro. You're bringing back Bizarro. You know when Lex Luthor shows up, we're getting the green suit, and you know that's going to be CGI'd all day. Oh yeah, and I'm not mad about that at all. So I'd be they, wild if it was practical. Though. Oh my god, can you only imagine? But if they want to take that extra time to put in that special effects, I'm not mad about it because, like I say, we didn't really have a lot of special effects for this episode too. No. Because this one was a little more grounded and really dived into a few stories. The first of which has been the story of Jonathan Kent trying to find his own place in the Kent family, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have Jordan Kent being Superboy with the superpowers, played by Alex Garfin. Mm -hmm. And Michael Bishop, who's jumped into this role, and I say this all the time, (coughs) Jonathan Kent is probably the best written character on this show. Yes, Agreed 100%. Yeah, and I think Bishop has been running with the role, too. And now he's emerged as he doesn't have any superpowers, but he's still trying to be a hero and is now joined as a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, he's trying to find his place in the world. He's got his mom, who's the internationally famous and well-known reporter. He's got his dad, who's also a well-known reporter, but also Superman. Mm-hmm. Got his brother, who's growing into his own and got his own superpower. So he's kind of, you know, he's kind of the guy that like, oh, I was known for football. Well, he doesn't really have football anymore because they hate him. Mm-hmm. You know, so, he, so he's just trying to find his thing. Yeah. And he has a very unique mentorship going on, too, with Kyle, uh, played by Eric Valdez. Because Kyle is, well, you know, you love to hate him. Yeah. Because he finds ways... To screw things up left and right. He means well. He means well. But it doesn't always happen well. Right. So after Jonathan has been paying his dues and learning the the tricks of the trade about being a firefighter, you see that Kyle has now promoted him. Mm -hmm. So now he's a full-fledged firefighter. Yep. So, I mean, which is awesome to see. Until they go to an actual fire. Right. And what happens is Kyle gives Jonathan specific orders. Stay by the truck. Stay by the truck. Just just observe. Yeah. But you see, things don't go as planned. No. And why is that, Pat? So he's doing what he's told. 
for hmm. a little bit. He's standing there. He's watching, but he looks up in the sky and he sees his brother fly into the building. And he, and of course, he goes, oh, my gosh, he, he's here. Mm-hmm. So he goes over to the back of the house and he sees his brother come out of the building. He's got his uh, he's got his mask on. He's got his uh, his uh, identity hidden. And his brother tells him, oh, hey, they got a little bit of smoke inhalation, you know, and he takes off. Well, before or a little bit after he takes off, you know, uh, Jonathan is looking at them and he, he's taking care of the kids. And then who comes around the building or out of the building, wherever it was. I, I, it was a quick moment. I didn't quite catch where he came from, but it's Kyle and company. And mm-hmm. Kyle is pissed. Yeah. He's like, dude, you had one job. Mm hmm. So while he's trying to cover up for his brother, Jonathan takes the fall. Mm-hmm. And this is a dynamic that has been building up a little bit because Jordan is in that year one of his superheroic career. Yeah. So he's making a lot of mistakes. And Jonathan is trying to cover for him best he can. Right. Even to the point where he gets in trouble and he's trying to explain to Jordan, like, listen. I might lose my job because of you. And he's like, I was trying to help. Yeah, because Jordan doesn't get it. He's Jordan, like, dude, we had it. Yeah, he's like, we had it. It was a simple fire. But you're now leaving clues mm-hmm. behind. <laughs> Big fucking clues. Yeah. He's, Jesus Christ. Like, when they said, oh, they know it's you. You left behind a clue. I was not expecting half of the room to be frozen in fucking ice. Yeah. Holy shit. So now they know that. They know someone has powers. Somebody has powers in Smallville. So Jordan is going to have to lay low for a little bit, but as we've seen over the seasons, he does not do that well. Yeah, he's a teenager with hormones. It ain't going to work well. Right. Meanwhile, you have another teenage story going on too, and that has been the story of one Natalie Irons, played by Taylor Buck who's been great in this role and now has started dating the mysterious Mateo who she met at the party earlier in the season yeah. in, in uh, Metropolis, which Spence Moore plays Mateo and he, he does a great job in the role yeah. because they're, they're trying to make things happen. And at last episode, Mateo f- was talking to his parents went to they well, he and uh, that he and what's her name again, Natalie, Natalie. Thank you. Went to, went to the movies, and they had a great time, and mm-hmm. he's really in love. And he goes and meets his parents. He goes, oh, I think I found the one. Mm-hmm. And his parents are like, whoa, hey, whoa, what do you mean the one? We got to meet this girl first. Yes. And that sets up the whole dinner. It sets up a whole dinner, but we find out that Mateo's parents are Bruno Mannheim and Pia. Mm-hmm. Which, Who, kudos to you. You called it. Yes. I, I mean, it, was, it was just too – it was a little telegraphed, but I'm not mad about it, though, because it makes for a lot of drama because – the one thing is that a lot of fans forget, even when I talk to online, this is not the John Henry Irons and Natalie Irons from this timeline. Right. The, the John Henry Irons from this timeline is dead. Yes. So Bruno Mannheim was responsible for that death. And he doesn't understand the whole concept of multiverse and that, although admittedly after last season, he should have at least some idea. Um, but regardless, he doesn't understand the whole concept of multiverse and that this is a different universe's uh, Henry, John Henry Irons. Mm-hmm. And, and all he sees is, oh, the guy I killed is now back to life. What the fuck? Now I got to do this again. God, yes. God damn it. Yeah. So 
this turns into a whole weird dynamic. And like I say, any anytime we see Wally Parks on the show, obviously he adds something to this. One of my favorite characters on the show is John Henry Irons. So while the dinner is going on and everything is, you know, it's it's your typical first time meeting your boyfriend slash girlfriend's parents. You know, mm-hmm. embarrassing stories are getting told. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're having a good time. Along the way, uh, John Henry Irons finds out who Mateo's parents are. Yeah, and he goes, "What the shit? I'm not happy about this." And he shows up and goes, "We need to leave." To which Bruno Mannheim goes, "What the fuck? I thought you were dead." Yeah, so it makes for a very interesting dynamic. But you knew it was going to play out mm-hmm. like this. And I like I say, I'm not mad. This was telegraphed. No, because this the, was natural. The powder keg was there. It was lit. It just needed to blow, and well, it blew. Mm-hmm. So we do see. Bruno Mannheim unleash his anger on John Henry Irons mm-hmm. that you see that he is now trying to kill him yet again. Yeah. And the suit has to come flying in and save him. So like takes forever and a goddamn day to get there. Yeah. Holy shit. But it still plays out very, very cool. Yeah. It so, does. so you see that dynamic is going on and then you see Pia is unleashing her powers to like the nth degree like as far as her limits will take her. Yes, because she has been somebody that is just as mysterious as Bruno Mannheim. Yeah, because you got to remember the first time we meet her is when Lois is in Metropolis for her cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. And we meet her just as another person in this hospital going for cancer treatments like is average and every day. But, right. as, but as we go along in the season, eh, like Transformers, there's more than meets the eye. Yes. Yeah, so we see her now is unleashing her powers on to John Henry Irons. Goddamn girl, you've been holding back. Yeah. That was insane. You know, it was a crazy sequence going on too where Superman has to make the save. Yeah, because like an emergency rescue beacon or whatever it is gets tripped and he flies off there. Yeah, because for the majority of this episode, he and Lois were focusing on the background of Bruno Mannheim. Right, because after all the years of trying to get the records the DOD has on Bruno Mannheim, her dad finally came through and showed up to the house with like boxes on top of boxes full of classified, technically classified information on Bruno Mannheim that it was taking uh, it was taking Clark, Lois, and Chrissy all going through together mm-hmm. to sort through. So they've, they've been a little tied up for most of the episode. Yeah, because they've been literally trying to dig into Bruno Mannheim and really find out what his true motives are mm-hmm. this entire time. And this has been some a, a case that Lois has been trying to work on for years. Because while he's playing the doting husband that has the cancer treatment center going very well and is helping out rebuild... Uh, you know, the suicide slums and all, and all this other stuff. It's not passing the smell test for Lois. Right. So even when she's saying there's something to redeem him and you know she could have been wrong this entire time, once this evidence comes to light and there is one very big key element that is exposed. Uh-huh. And that is Bruno Mannheim framed Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. For the death of his former boss, Boss Moxie. Which is the which is the murder that landed Lex Luthor in prison. Yes. So the whole reason he's in prison is a fraud, is a sham. Oh, shit. Yes, because we find out that Pia's powers uh-huh. had something to do with it. Uh-huh. So that's what tips Superman off, that he is now keeping an ear out. Here's John Henry Irons is, is struggling to take out Pia, and at least his great sequence going on where ultimately Pia 
is still not at 100%, mm-hmm. and her body gives out on her. Chemo takes a lot out of you. Yeah. So Superman winds up cutting the deal, so to speak. I'll take her to the hospital because she has to go right now. Otherwise, she's going to die. Right. Well, she's going to die. He's partially deaf because when he flew into this, he stood between Pia and John Henry Irons and took the full force of the blast. Mm. So he's partially deaf in both ears at this point. Bruno Mannheim is so confused at what to do. He doesn't know whether to freak out and start killing everybody or to like rush and come for Pia. And that's when when Superman goes, hey, she needs a doctor. I'm the only person who can get her there. And he and Bruno just kind of emotionally, like, yeah, go. And and he grabs her and takes off as fast as I've ever seen him move. Yeah. So he's taking Pia to get emergency help. You see John Henry Irons, who is still shaken up from what has happened, mm-hmm. fly away, but he takes Natalie with him. Because at this point, the sirens for the police are showing up because, well, they made a fair bit of noise. Yeah. No pun intended. Right. So they take off. Mateo basically disowns his parents. And understandably so. Yeah, because it's more or less told that he can't see Natalie again and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Just by the actions that have transpired. And you do see like the parting montage of him arguing with Bruno yeah. about what has happened. And, yeah. And that you're you've been the head of inner gang, like the secrets are now coming out. I thought you were this upstanding dude who started a cancer, helped start a cancer institute and was raising uh, the suicide slums into this like era of prosperity no you're just a piece of shit yeah so it kind of just all falls into play with that and we get the final montage of what's been going on too which i have to say we we didn't spend a lot of time on this mm-hmm. because the, the disconnect between lana and sarah this season has been an underlying story mm-hmm. that's been it, going it, on. it's been building yeah because obviously with the parents getting divorced and uh Kyle is now seeing Chrissy. Yeah, I was like, ultimately, when parents divorce, it does affect the kids. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that done very tastefully on the show, too. Mm-hmm. You're seeing that Lana wants to go see The Cure, mm-hmm. one of the greatest bands of all time. Gotta help, can't help but wonder if they wondered why their streaming numbers went up this week. Oh, my God, yeah. So you see that that was the little side plot that she wanted Sarah to go with her, and Sarah was kind of fighting it a little bit until they wind up ultimately agreeing to do it and they have like the music of yeah. love song getting played on the way out yeah and you do see like sarah and lana are dancing a little bit and then you see the argument happening between mateo and bruno mm-hmm. you see natalie is crying because john henry irons has taken her phone and said you can't see mateo anymore yeah and then we get the final shot of the episode <laughs> clark didn't take her to a hospital per se where did it go uh the dod yeah. She's she's now imprisoned and held captive by the... Well, I don't want to say held captive, but she's under lock and key with the DOD. Yeah, but she's getting treatment there. Yeah, she that, is. Yeah. That's the whole thing there, that. She's under her their watch. Yes. And then the final shot of the episode is we go back to Bizarro wakes up. Yeah, so the entire time while they're showing and there's a brief conversation of like, oh, yeah, she's... Like, basically how she can't get out, we're going to help her get better, and yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, he's not going to be happy. He's probably going to know she's not at a hospital, he being Bruno. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be happy about this. And then it clicked for me. I'm like, oh, fuck. He's got Bizarro. He's got a way to bring people back from the dead. Admittedly, it's not perfected, but I'm willing to bet by the time Bizarro comes around, it's going to be perfected. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, fuck. He's going to use Bizarro to get her out. And then we see Bizarro, and I'm like, god damn it, I hate it when I'm right. Yeah. But we knew it was coming back to that because the entire first couple episodes was focused on how Bruno Mannheim was playing Frankenstein. And it was left alone for a while so that yeah. you, you forgot it. Yeah, so you completely forgot it and they came back to it, which I love how they do that. 
because it wasn't something that was a forgotten plot point per se. Right. But they were waiting for the right time to bring it back. And now, especially with the tip off that Luthor might be getting freed because that's where Lois is arguably going with this. Uh huh. The, the evidence is going to come out. Yeah. If be- she, if she wants to write this tell all, uh, article about uh, nail Bruno Mannheim to the wall and finally get her crowning achievement of getting him imprisoned. This is going to be the piece of evidence that does it. Yeah. And, and as much as she hates it, it's gonna, the evidence is going to come out. They're gonna let Lex out. What an ethical problem. Oh, I know. I love this. Oh, it's nuts. Like I say, that's the strong point of this episode too, involving Clark and Lois, because you have the ultimate Boy Scout, and mm-hmm. Lois too does things the right way as well. Yeah, and now you're you've now realized the your worst enemy is wrongfully imprisoned. Uh huh. What do you do? The damning bit of evidence is going to help your your worst enemy. Yeah. Because they're not going to sit on this. They're going to expose it. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And now you have a Luthor that's been in jail for, what, 15 years? 20. 20 years. 20 years, I believe. Now coming out, and we know LexCorp is still running. Like, they've shown the the planes. They've shown different Easter eggs throughout the series. Yeah. So it's not to say he's not going to come back and resume his role as the CEO. Yeah. But that's where things get really interesting. And he's going to be pissed. Oh, yeah, because he's going to be looking for Bruno Mannheim. Uh-huh. And I want to see that. I My only fear with this up with their story is Bruno's going to get taken out super quick. Uh-huh. I hope it, ta- it takes a few episodes and you build it off almost like as a crime war in Metropolis and bring it to Smallville. You know what I could see happening? I could see a scene happening where Clark finally goes to confront Bruno. And he wants to fight Bruno. And they, and right before they they fight, we finally see Lex, and you just hear, "No, he leave him to me." And and it's it's and it's just the silhouetted figure of not even in the suit. He mm-hmm. he wants to fight him one on one, man to man, no powers, you know, quote unquote. And it's Lex standing in the doorway, going, "No, he's mine." It could happen. Like, that's the one dynamic with Lex that it can go anywhere. I mean, just to kind of tie things up here. Lex does not like to, Lex does, likes to make an entrance. He likes to make an entrance. He thinks he's the greatest human being on the on planet Earth. And what he's doing in his mind is he thinks he's protecting Earth from Superman because Superman mm-hmm. is an alien and truly evil. Like, it's a weird, it, there's, a, uh, there's a few great comic series that cover this, but it, it yeah. really plays into this. But there's one other story point with what's been going on with Bruno Mannheim and Lex that we haven't touched upon, and I wonder if they're going to go this route. Bruno's been experimenting with Superman's blood, right? Yes. And he's somehow acquired the body of Bizarro. Uh-huh. Now, Bizarro is technically a what of Superman? Uh, alternate universe version? Well, yeah, in, in this storyline, yeah, but, you know... He's also been known to be a clone. Yeah. Who else is a clone that has Lex Luthor DNA and oh, Superman DNA? son of a bitch. Superboy. Yeah. The real Superboy. The real Superboy. Connor not, Kent. N- not Jonathan. Yeah, Connor. Yeah. Well, they could do Connor. They could do Connor or try twisting it into a different way. But like that's the one thing with Lex is you now have all these possibilities open. And what I'd like to see is, depending on how long the season goes... I'd love to see them do a, like a little bit of a crime war to really establish Luthor as a threat again. Yeah. Because I think if he just comes back in 20 years out of prison 
and just assumes the role and takes Bruno out very quickly, I don't think that's going to add up. I'd love to see a little build and them do something where ultimately he's there and then you leave to go into next season where it's Luther versus Superman. And then and, and hopefully it's not the case, but if that's the last season, then you end it the way it needs to end. Right. So a lot of possibilities going on with this episode, but where they went here I thought was arguably one of the best written episodes they've done. Uh-huh. It really tied up a lot of things that we've been waiting to see happen. Obviously the the romance between Matteo and Natalie has you know, exploded as we knew it was going to happen. We've now seen Bruno Mannheim get exposed. And now the ethical question comes down to Superman and Lois. Yeah. What do you do with this information? Yeah. And then even the sub stories really had some stuff going on too. Like I say, they didn't focus a lot of time on Lana and Sarah. And I don't think they needed to, because they've, no. sp- they've spent a lot throughout each episode explaining that situation. And then even with Kyle and Jonathan, they spent a decent amount of time pushing that storyline forward, but mm-hmm. it was all to build towards this one with jo- with Jordan right. and what's going to happen there. And now you throw in, you're bringing back Bizarro. Like I say, the pacing they've done on the show has been very good. Uh-huh. They're still tying things up nicely from where you saw from a couple episodes ago and bringing it back. You're not forgetting about things. That's one strong suit about this episode, and that's why I think this episode really clicked. Yeah. In the series. Uh, like I said, the series has been firing on all points. Final thoughts on the episode, Pat. Fantastic episode. One of the best of the season thus far. And cripes almighty. I cannot wait to see where this goes. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this was arguably their strongest episode to date. And I love the fact that we're not at the midseason point just yet. But like I say, with this episode, I legit thought we were because it kind of had that penultimate build. Right. And we're not there yet which is good because the more of the show we get, the better. And then where its future holds is anybody's guess. Until then, though, folks, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the latest episode of Superman and Lois entitled Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? We want to hear your thoughts going into next week's episode. And then even if you have something to say about the Flash series finale, I know we're going to talk about that a little bit next week, but we definitely want to get some thoughts in beforehand. So if you got some, let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, Pad, what do you got? Got a couple things to talk about, uh, the first of which is some video game news and some kudo video games news, uh, because if you're listening to this while playing Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, hey, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, the game did come out in, on uh, May 12th, 2023, so just last week for the Nintendo Switch seasons. I've heard it's phenomenal. Uh, I do not personally own a Switch, although I quite honestly want one just to play this game. It looks phenomenal. Mm. Uh, but this game is already breaking absurd records, because as was reported today by Nintendo of America from their official Twitter account, quote, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has sold over 10 million copies worldwide in its first three days, becoming the fastest selling game in the history of the Legend of Zelda series. 10 mil three days? Mm -hmm. Thanks to those already enjoying Link's latest adventures. So that is absolutely absurd considering Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Link to the Past, 
you know, uh, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild, just the breadth of games that stretch all the way back to 1986, you know, on the the Super Nintendo, Game Boy Color, you know, the DS, the, the... uh, the the Wii, the Wii U, and all, all like every other console that's come out with like ten million copies in three days. That's absurd. That's nuts. That's insane. Uh, hey, well deserved. I've heard the game's phenomenal. So, like I said, if you're out there playing the game, I hope you're enjoying it because it looks incredible. Uh, switching over to some streaming news. Obviously, we got the upfronts going on for television right now uh, with the major studios. And well, not a whole lot's come out. Uh, we did get some little tidbits of information from the folks over at Disney slash Marvel. Yes. And that is the release dates for two upcoming series we are very excited for coming late this year. And that is Loki and Echo. So reading from Marvel.com, it says, quote, Today, during Disney Plus's 2023 Upfronts presentation in New York City, Kevin Feige, producer and president of Marvel Studios and chief creative officer, provided a new look at three upcoming series on Disney Plus, starting with Secret Invasion arriving June 21st, along with announcing new release dates, uh, Loki feet for Loki and Echo. Loki Season 2, October 6th. Uh, the second season of Marvel Studios Loki will will, uh, will arrive on Disney Plus on October 6th, 2023, picking up immediately where season one left off during 2022's D23 Expo. Ta- star Tom Hiddleston teased that viewers will find Loki in a familiar but strange place. Loki is back at the TVA. He's had a very difficult confer- confrontation with Sylvie and Mobius and Hunter B-15 don't know who he is. Only time will tell what happens next. Echo, November 29th. Marvel Studios Echo will arrive on November 29th, 2023 on Disney Plus with all episodes dropping onto the streaming platform that day. The new series tells the origin story of Maya Lopez, whose ruthless behavior in New York City catches up with her in her hometown. She must face her past, reconnect with her Native American roots, and embrace the meaning of family and community if she ever hopes to move forward, close quote. So definitely a shocker on that yeah, last Yeah, I was going to say, reading that, yeah. Because to my knowledge, none of the Marvel shows have ever dropped with the exception. Now, the Marvel Disney Plus shows, i got to specify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, Marvel yeah. Disney Plus shows, because we know the Netflix ones. Ne- Netflix whole different ball of wax. Whole ball of wax. But for the Marvel Disney Plus shows, they've never dropped all episodes at once that I can remember. So this is the first instance that, uh, that I can remember that we're getting all of them at once. Do you think they're doing it with any kind of connection with the writer's strike going on? Like, uh, No, because it's it's done, it's filmed, it's in the can. I don't think so. Just, just to get content there to cover for a while? Like, uh, I mean, like that's the only thing, Like, maybe a preemptive see, type see, deal. It, I think if it were the case that like, because of the writer's strike and they're trying to like cover their bases, I, I don't think they would drop it all at once. They would kind of stretch it out and do the weekly thing. But the fact that they're dropping it all at once, there must be some sort of reason. I don't think it's to do with the with the writer strike though. Well, because the only thing I I agree with you, like when I first was thinking this in my head, I'm like, it's got to be some reason they're doing this. Oh, I agree with. But you. it's not going to be based around the the Marvels. I mean, obviously that those universes. I mean, same universe, but not crossing paths. Right. It, and we do know that Daredevil: Born Again was filming. Uh-huh. Everything stopped because of the writer strike. Right. And obviously, this leads into right. That that's the only thing I was thinking. Unless right. there's unless there's some big announcement that we don't know yet, right? Because we do know San Diego Comic Con rumors, and I stress rumors are circulating. Marvel's planning on doing some big things there, which I mean, you would figure. Well, obviously it's Hall H. I mean that's yeah. that's their turf they defend. Yeah. So 
I would imagine, but right. I mean, th- th- it's just kind of real puzzling that they're going to try doing that route. And I, the only thing I can think, cause I'm looking at the calendar. So November 29th falls on a Wednesday. Uh, the only thing I can think is they're dropping all of it now because they want to get the viewer numbers in because in three weeks after the 29th. So if they follow the, if they were to follow the weekly releasing, however long this series ends up being six episodes, let's just say eight episodes, mm-hmm. three. So episode one would drop on the 29th. Episode two would drop, and this is assuming they don't do like a double drop season premiere. Yeah. But so if they drop episode one, the 29th, they would drop episode two on December the 6th. Episode three would drop on December the 6th, the 13th. Episode four would drop on December the 20th. And then on Sunday is December 24th, Christmas Eve. Monday is the 25th. Mm. And then everyone's going to be traveling. Everyone's going to be busy flying cross country and all this other stuff. And oh, by the way, so then you get the 27th would be the next drop. And then, oh, by the way, New Year's Eve is on the is uh, the week after that because that's on a Sunday and New Year's Day is on a Monday. So then you're going to figure, every, you know, everyone's going to be traveling midweek if they j- decide to travel to Los Angeles, New York, in the wherever, states, yeah, yeah. wherever they travel for for New Year's Eve. So that's my that'd be my guess is they want to get the viewer numbers in as fa- as fast as they can because they're going to run into the holidays. No, that's a great point, Pat. And you know what? I think you're right on that because I think they'll want to get last quarter numbers in Yeah, for the end of the year. And plus, if I'm not mistaken, and I know, I don't think they were ever publicly released. Not that I know of. Hawkeye numbers. Yeah, not that I know of. Because remember, that came out during yeah. during yeah. that time period. Yeah. Remember, yeah. it serves me right. Yeah. Everything just blends with the MCU these days. So <laughs> yeah. it's like trying yeah. to remember like when everything dropped yeah. at once. Yeah, But. Uh, super excited to see this show, though. Oh, and I am too. I'm wondering. I mean, there's the rumors circulating around this show and what it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. Man, there's a, all eyes are going to be on this show. So maybe it is a better thing to drop it all at once and let yeah. people just, you know, get overstimulated with it. Yeah. Uh, and then switching over to some television slash streaming news. Like streaming news because it's going to end up on Disney Plus here in the States. Uh, we got a... A little teaser trailer for the upcoming 60th anniversary specials for Doctor Who. Let's go. Hard to believe we're already at the 60th because it feels like I was jumping through hoops to watch the 50th in college. Yeah. Didn't do it illegally. I did it legally, Mm -hmm. but I had to jump through some hoops to figure out how the hell I was going to watch this because I was not waiting a month and a half until I got home to watch and trying to dodge spoilers. But hard to believe we're already at the 60th and we already know the 60th is going to be massive because you have the return of David Tennant as the doctor. Although, is it his doctor? or is it, a, is it a new doctor just with his face? Yet to be seen. We will see the return of Donna Noble, who not supposed to be able to see uh, David Tennant's face, if you remember the lore of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. So that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we do know there are going to be three specials coming. We still don't know when the release dates of this thing are, although they say it's coming this year. Uh, but on the teaser trailer we got revealed, which is only 52 seconds, if you want to give it a watch. Uh, the first special is going to be titled The Star Beast. Second special is going to be titled Wild Blue Yonder. And the the third special is going to be titled The Giggle. And of course, uh, in one of these specials, or maybe a couple of these specials, uh, we will get the guest appearance of Neil Patrick Harris. Hmm. So so that'll be something to see. So more Doctor Who coming content coming in. uh, David Tennant's back for at least a couple specials. Very excited to see this. Really excited to see. Tennant is my favorite Doctor. So whatever version we get of him, like, I'm here. I'm I'm sold on this. And lastly, and certainly not leastly, we got a comic announced right as we were recording. I have not told you about this, and that is deliberately so. Okay. Uh, Marvel Comics has announced Immortal Thor. Oh. From writer Al Ewing. Okay. And artist Martin, and I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize, uh, Kokolo. 
Uh, And this is according to Discussing Film on Twitter. Uh, Quote, the series launching this August will focus on Thor as the all-father of Asgard, mastering his new abilities and facing off against the the newly emerged Elder Gods. And we do have a little title cover, which I'm sure Oh, I like that. Yeah, so we got that coming uh, this August. Is that Alex Ross? Uh, That might be. That cover is that is a sweet cover. It's got an Alex Ross uh, vibe to it, so it could, it could be. That does feel like that. Holy smokes, man! That yeah. So that came as we were recording. Man, dropping those bombshells on me, Pad. Yeah. You know what, Thor? The comics don't do the movies justice, like, yeah. or, or I should say, vice versa. The movies don't do the chom- the comics justice, right? Marvel has always really taken its time over the past few years. To really make Thor into like such a must read, yeah, yeah. No matter who's taking it, Al Ewing is a great replacement coming in. I mean, you talk about Jason Aaron's and Donny Cates, and like everybody's taking the runs with the Thor, like mythos. Like this is going to be one that I am super excited about, man. I, like I say, completely throwing me off about this. Mm -hmm. It's good to talk about some good things with Marvel Comics (laughs) right now. (laughs) Oh shit! Because kicking off my. Oh boy! Jurisdiction here, I guess, of one shots, and Pat is going to chime in too. Uh, like, listen, let's just rip the bandaid off. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so it was revealed from the folks at Marvel and also Entertainment Weekly that we found out what the big revealing shock is going to be in Amazing Spider-Man issue number twenty-six coming this later, later this month. Uh, and reading from the article on EntertainmentWeekly.com, it says, and I quote. Uh, Over the past decade, Ms. Marvel, a.k.a. Kamala Khan, has risen to become Marvel's most iconic new superhero. Originally created by writer G. Willow Wilson, artists Adrian uh, Alfona and Jamie McKelvey, uh, and editor Sana Amant, uh, Kamala headlined her own solo comic for years, became an Avenger in no time, and now stands shoulder to shoulder with the likes of Spider-Man. She's even made her way into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Amon Vellani playing the title character in last year's Ms. Marvel series and reprising the role on the big screen in The Marvels later this year. It may come as a shock then to learn that she's going to die. And yet, Entertainment Weekly can exclusively reveal that's exactly what's going to happen in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man number 26 later this month. Marvel has been teasing that a big death is coming in the issue. Peter Parker is certainly no stranger to death, having lost his Uncle Ben in the first story uh, and watched his girlfriend Gwen Stacy killed by his arch enemy in one of the most iconically devastating moments in superhero history. Even Peter himself died in the alternate ultimate universe that allowed Miles Morales to flourish in his place. So when Marvel began teasing a major character death in the upcoming issue Amazing Spider-Man number 26, comic fans knew to expect the worst. But Kamala has become an important part of the current Spider-Man comic run by writer Zeb Wells and artist John Romita Jr. As a civilian, she interns at Oscorp to keep an eye on the supposedly reformed Norman Osborn, the former Green Goblin. As Miss Marvel, she helps Spider-Man protect people and stop villains. Unfortunately, bravery and heroism can be dangerous. Uh, so then they include a couple of photos in there, but... Uh, article goes on to say Kamala's status as Marvel's most visible Muslim superhero and her ongoing MCU spotlight make this decision especially shocking but Marvel is not making it lightly later this summer the publisher will release a special issue focused on the impact of Kamala's death Fallen Friend The Death of Ms. Marvel will show the other heroes of the Marvel Universe gathering to remember her the issue will be written by three writers who each have a history with Kamala 
Wilson, one of her original creators, Saladin Ahmed, who wrote the most recent Ms. Marvel ongoing comic series, and Mark Wade, who wrote her in Avengers and Champions. Uh, look for that special issue to hit stores July 12th. Close quote. Okay. So, I, where, do you want, where do you want to start with this, Pat? Why? Exactly. I am going to say this on record. I don't get this. I don't either. This has nothing to do with the storyline. I mean, Pad, you have been reading this since. I mean, you you read the the Zeb Wells run yeah. quite often. Yeah. I don't get this. I mean, she's been featured featured in that, like the article says, she's been keeping an eye on Norman Osborn because you know they don't entirely believe he's reformed. So, mm-hmm. contingency plan. And there was a panel in one of the recent issues where Peter went to Norman for help to get back into the alternate universe to save Mary Jane. And Kamala found Norman experimenting on things and and saw after the fact Peter had left. She didn't see Peter Mm -hmm. and she didn't see Norman helping Peter, but she saw Norman experimenting on things. Now, there is an, an, in the Unintimate Weekly article, if you want to see it, I'm not going to go into details of what it is. I'm showing Ken. There is a photo included that does appear how she's going to die, or at least what's going to cause her to die. If you've been reading the issues, you kind of have. Yeah, you have an idea. You have an idea what's going to happen. The thing that just doesn't make sense to me is she's not real close with with Peter. Yeah. She knows him and, and they're friends, but like they're not close friends. You know, it, it, if it were say like, and the, God, this would be ballsy. Like if it were miles, I'd be like, shit, like that's a bold strategy. Like, I'm, but this one I did not have on my bingo card. Well, the thing that doesn't make sense about this is one, she has a very high profile right now with the MCU and got, got cinematic, cinematic universes. Got I'm a movie this. coming. So she's one of Marvel's most popular characters. Yeah. So if you're going to actually do this, why is it happening in a throwaway story that she hasn't been there? Yeah. Like to in my opinion, this feels just like a clickbait yeah. shock move. Yeah. This doesn't really gel as part of the story. It it feels like one of those daytime soap opera drama deaths that's like meant to shock and in awe of the viewers. They're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can't believe they killed this person. But then in like six months time, it's, oh my God, somehow, because I remember being a kid and watching some of these shows with my mom and, you know, at the, at the young age of like six and seven and being like, yo, wow, the, that person's quote unquote dead. And then like five, six months later, there they are again. Like, wait, how the hell did this happen? Like what? Like this, what, this is what it feels like. It feels like a soap opera drama style death where it's meant to shock and awe. And then, in six months' time, she'll be back. Well, that's the whole key point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, for one, don't buy it that they would keep her dead for any uh, long amount of time. They'll keep her dead until September, October. Yeah. Long enough for it to have an impact and to get some stories out of it. But then when it comes time, and the the run of the comic will end, you know, but then when it comes time to start doing the heavy promotion for the movie... The comic line will get relaunched. She'll get brought back from the dead in some sort of special issue. And that's where we and then we'll go from there. Because as is typical with Marvel, whenever they've got a movie coming out, the corresponding comic run will get a push. Oh, yeah. You know, they did it with Eternals. They do it with just Thor. did it with Guardians Galaxy. Yeah, they do. It, they do it with everything. You know, even in humans for as God awful as that was on TV Inhumans got a little bit of a push when that movie was getting or I say movie the TV show was getting ready to come out. 
It's it's their bread and butter. I'm glad you brought them up too, because this is why I think they're doing this. And bear with me. This might sound like a wordy rant, but just bear with me. If I lose you, jump in. What is Miss Marvel in the comics? She's an inhuman. Right. Since mutants have now come back into prominence. And I'm pretty sure they've shot the Inhumans, metaphorically speaking, off into another universe. Exactly. Like, they're not... I don't... Correct this if I'm wrong. Hashtag ODPHPod. But I don't think the Inhumans are even in, with the exception of, like, some of the main ones. Black Bolt is probably the one that's... Black Bolt, a couple of his other family members might be around from time to time. But, like, the bulk of the Inhumans are probably, I think, are off in some other dimension. Yeah, like, they're, they're... Non-existent. Metaphorically speaking, they got shot off into the sun. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they're they're just non-existent right now in the comics. So you now have hype coming around the mutants movie, whatever the X Men movie, like right. whatever, whatever, whatever they do, it's going to be for the MCU. Well, what better way to transition Kamala Khan in the comics universe than have her go from being an Inhuman? To a resurrected mutant. And I can't believe we were talking about this off air with Brian Wayne when we were recording the sports show. I can't believe I didn't think of it. What did they, spoiler alert, what did they call Kamala Khan in the television show? Mutant. Yep. They're they're lining it up with the, with the cinematic universe. They telegraphed it completely. So I guarantee you Convoluted this. way to do it, but hey, okay. This is a chess move. Because they, they put it out there, nobody has tr- has has translated this until recently. Because I know everybody we've talked to amongst our content-creating friends on podcast, comics, Twitter, and other sites have all said the same thing. Oh, yeah, you're just killing her off to bring her back as a mutant. Yeah. And you know what? I fully agree. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. She's going to go to Kuroka, and then before anybody hits up, well, it's different within humans and mutants, trust me, they'll find a way to do it. Yeah. And she'll be the face of the new X book that they're going to start pushing in October. The only person who's ever stayed truly dead, and that's because there would be holy hell to pay, is Uncle Ben. Yep. Ben Parker is the only one that has stayed dead. Mm-hmm. And we're talking dead dead. We're not talking like clones or yeah. spectral figures. Jean, like, Jean Grey? Like dead dead. How many times she come back? Oh, God. Wolverine. Yep. They made I remember 10 years 10 about maybe about 10 years ago now, they made a whole spectacle that they were going to kill off Logan. Mm-hmm. They were going to murder Wolverine and I remember picking up the issues because admittedly, the the covers of those issues were rather cool that they were oh, God, like, yeah. they, they were like holographic and they made him real real spectacle. You know, they encased his entire body inside and out in adamantium. Mm-hmm. They made it pretty goddamn definitive that he was dead. About 6 months later they brought him back. Well, yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. When you have a character this popular, they're not going to stay dead. And I get why Marvel is doing this. I just don't agree with it, and no. I don't like it. No. Because as a longtime comic reader, this is forced. This does yeah. this does not play. like to, yeah. to me, this is how this reads. This is just my opinion. Yeah. This reads as like a, a clickbait shock grab yeah. sales push. Yeah. That's how it reads to me. Yeah. Now, if there's a great story behind it, Sure, but from what I've read, in my opinion, it's not been a great run of ASM. No, sorry, just this no. is my opinion. I'm allowed to say my opinion. You know, like there's it, been better. There's been better. Yeah, and I just feel that you're rushing this just to to prove a point, or if you're trying to hit the you know the, the DefCon Five button, so to speak, and get 
Miss Marvel now is a mutant in the MCU. There's other the ways. There's other ways you could have done. There's it. other ways to do it. So I will say, like, I don't like it. I'm I'm not planning on picking up Fallen Friend, the the one shot there, because depending it, on the price, I might. The price to if if it's like nine ten dollars. No, I'll mm-hmm. I'll just read the summary online of what happens. But it, it price for me, it's price dependent. Well, that's the whole key. The because because I know she's not going to stay dead. Yeah. So so if it's the typical like. You know what? Whatever Marvel comic typically goes for, like three ninety nine, four ninety nine, whatever it is. Sure, but if it, but if it's like this last issue of Spider Man, where it was like eight, nine dollars, nah, yeah, probably I mean, not. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, and I'm sorry. Like I, I would not do that, and I don't encourage that. So, like that's just me. But I, I think for the media hype that's been surrounding it, listen, I will, I will say this: you don't have to like a storyline. But if you take it a step further and start threatening a creator mm-hmm. or threatening the powers that be that are working, I, you've crossed the line. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I can't respect your opinion on that. I don't like the story. It doesn't mean I want to wish bodily harm on anybody. And I've seen I've already seen some ugly tweets. Oh, I'm sure. Come out. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm just saying this, like as a longtime Spider-Man fan, he is my number one hero. I don't like this. And I don't like how they're tying this in that Peter is somehow responsible. And this is what gets him hated by everybody in the MCU. I don't like this. Especially, there's no way they're going to keep her dead for long. God, no, there's not. Especially with the movie coming out later this year. No. Yeah, it's Telegram. No. And that's why I say for everybody, they just need to calm down. They need to relax. Let this, like, here's here's the biggest way you can send the story, the message out. Don't buy the issue. Yeah. Talk with your wallet. Yeah. That is the easiest way, if you want to say this is not your cup of tea, then just do that. Because you can send as many tweets and as many messages as you want to these writers and these artists and whatever else, but it's real easy for them to just turn off the notifications on their phone and just ignore it. Yeah. You know, so essentially what you're doing is talking into an empty void. Mm-hmm. And, th- and, that's the, and that's the key thing. To sit there and take it a step further and make threats. Yeah. Like, stop. Yeah. You're talking about fictional characters. Mm-hmm. And especially, I will always say this. If you see somebody wiling out like that, take the screenshot, and then when they bring her back, you can call that up. Yeah. Because you know what? That's the whole point. Because if you're going above and beyond the call to come off like a jackass, and I'll say it, then you shouldn't be reading comics in the first place because you don't get how this is done. You can be fired up about a character and not like a story, but when you take it a step further and you're crossing lines, that's a big problem, and you're the problem doing it. So what I'm just going to say in this and closing about it, I don't like this at all. I don't either. I, I, they, they, like, I was kind of wondering who it could be, and sure, sure some folks passed through my mind, but she was not on that list. No, it should have been MJ. Yeah. Should have, I'm sorry, should have been MJ. And you could have gone some different routes with it. As much as I would have hated it, I would have been I would at least have understood it. Yeah. But to do this, I mean, this just feels so forced and yeah. so just thrown in for reasons. And not not the fun reasons no. yeah. that we usually say. No. This just feels awkward and I don't like it. And I'm just I'm not planning on picking it up. I I I'm sorry. Like now that's been hyped up so much. When you bring her back in six months, this is all for nothing. So it's like when they killed Chewbacca in the old Star Wars. Yeah, it's like, like why? It's just it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah. like I say, I would much rather pick up something else at the comic shops this week. 
So let's go talk about that, shall we, Pad? Yeah, so I got just two picks this week. Uh, one from Marvel, one from DC. Well, one from Dark Horse, sorry. Uh, and then one from uh, DC. Uh, so from DC, it is Superman issue number four from Josh, Joshua Williamson. Uh, in the description of this is introducing the kryptonite claw. Claw with a K. Uh, Superman is vulnerable to kryptonite, but what happens when other dangerous superhumans are exposed to it? Superman want, If Superman wants to stop Metropolis's newest enemies, he must uncover Lex Luthor's secret past. Mm. So that's going to be awesome to read. And then yeah. also from uh, and then from Dark Horse, you've got Star Wars, The High Republic Adventures, The Nameless Terror, issue number four, this one from George Mann. Uh, and the description of this is, Deep within the ruined spaceship, the secret of the Nameless is finally revealed. Trapped and surrounded by, the, by enemies, the Jedi Pathfinders and Path Disciples fight dis- desperately to escape the swarm of hungry monsters new alliances are tested and in order for our heroes to escape some will make the ultimate sacrifice uh, close quote so listen entire public it's great writing george mann is a fantastic writer uh, himself so this is definitely one you should pick up because like i said with high republic it is not tied to any of the movies and it's a lot of fun yeah definitely agree with you about that and very solid picks pad too. This, Thank you. That Superman run. Oh, so good. So good. And like it, that deserves a lot more hype than I think it's getting. Yes. I, I mean, we always talk about it on the shows. I know I did the special Patreon edition breaking down issue number one of Superman. That whole run has mm-hmm. been just absolute fire. So yeah. if you haven't checked it out, you definitely need to. And it goes into like the whole Dawn of DC, which I'm they've got a couple new editions coming out this week. The one that caught my eye, though, Titans. Uh huh. Tom Taylor, Nicola Scott. Need I say more? Yeah. So the Justice League is no longer in business. The Titans are taking over, and Tom Taylor is attached to it. Literally, that's all you need. Like, I, I don't feel I need to dive in any more about that. No. So just go buy it. Uh, also coming out, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, number one. Oh, okay. Tom King, Mitch Gerards. Enough said. Yeah. So uh, definitely an interesting uh, story that's coming off, and I'll just read the uh, press release snippet for it. Uh, Coming off the spectacular success of Batman One Bad Day, the Riddler, the Eisner Award-winning team of Tom King and Mitch Gerrits reunite for a horrifying four-part retelling of the first bloody clash between the Joker and the Batman. Oh, Christ. (laughs) All I need. Yeah. I don't need that much in my life. That's all. the only snippet I need to read let alone there's more stuff going on. So that is going to be definitely one to be talking about this week. Uh, over on the Marvel side, like, listen, I my anger for Amazing Spider-Man 26 is there, but we don't need to dwell upon it anymore. I'm going to spend my time talking about something else I'm really excited to talk about. We have a brand-new Avengers series kicking off. Yeah, we do. So super excited. Jed McKay and C.F. Vila are taking over the book. The covers for this have looked absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. And anytime an Avengers comes out, you know it's going to be something worth checking out. Mm-hmm. So definitely this is on my list. And then one that, Pat, I know you, you're not really a big Ghost Rider fan, are you? No. See, me in the 90s, I loved Ghost Rider. Sure. And that's when they brought him back, and it was Dan Ketch. And now they're bringing him back into his own series. Mm. So this is going to be something definitely worth checking out. It's a limited series. I don't care. I'm, I'm on board with this. And like I say, this is for me, this is nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely planning on checking this one out. Very, very cool thing going on there. And then we got to go to the parlay points section because this week there is a lot. And I mean, a lot of cool stuff going on. 
House of Slaughter number 15 from Boom Studios, wrapping up the current storyline involving Jace Boucher and just the insanity that has been going on with this when he runs into some ghosts from his past that have really made a personal attack on him. And mm-hmm. you now see like truly why he has the moniker of The Butcher. And this book holds no punches. It's definitely a surprising ending than I thought was going to happen. But that's one great thing about this series is if you've ever read Something is Killing the Children, which you should, it's going to be coming to Netflix. I can't preach about that book more like more than I already do. House of Slaughter has been a great spinoff series because what it does is it'll spotlight a character and give them like a five-issue run mm-hmm. to really establish a great story. It's a one-off. And like I say, when Jace was on the first time, it was absolutely crushing it. And this has been a great return to see his character and just how things end. Like, I know we're going back to this story at some point. We just have to. Right. Because I can't see it ending like this. I just can't. But I definitely can't recommend it enough. Uh, Gave an 8 out of 10 on uh, the official parlay scale, I guess we need to call it. So definitely one to keep an eye out for. Also, Boom Studios strikes again with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. Now, issue 108 is out right now, but we just got a press release in, too that there is an event coming out that Power Rangers fans, you need to get very, very familiar with. And I'm just going to read the press release right from Boom Studios. So Boom Studios, under license uh, by Global Leader in Play, Hasbro Inc. Has ex- is excited to announce Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 111, the beginning of the Darkest Hour event, mm. taking place after the bold and great and greatly uh, anticipated reunited recharged era of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with the superstar creative team of Melissa Flores and Simona D. Gianfelice and colorist Raul Ang- Angelo and letterer Ed Dukeshire. Uh, to, in the kickoff of this monumental 12-month event. Jesus. Available in August of 2023, and the synopsis is, so Mistress Vile has won, or so it seems, with the control of the grid and the Dark Spectre's infections spreading throughout the universe. As if an epic battle between Vile and the vessel wasn't enough, the separated and stranded rangers receive help from the last team they'd expect, but it may not be the help they were hoping for. So... This all ties into the series, and I like I can't stress this enough. The series that is going on right now with Flores and uh, Dion Giafelice mm-hmm. uh, has been just lights out. Like if you're not super into Power Rangers, like before this, you're going to be fully all in. And if you were a fan before this series, holy shit! Yeah, I just swore. I'm sorry, folks, but. Holy shit, this series has been absolute must-read each and every month. This uh, it, issue, though, uh, change in the artist, uh, Marco Renna steps in, and if you know Marco's work, kills it every time he's on a book. So I was super excited to see him jumping in for this. And we do get a little deep dive into the mystery behind the vessel and how this plays out. So, Pat, I will just show you some artwork here going oh, on. Nice. Like I say, th- this has just been such an amazing story going on, too. And like I say, there's been a lot of juggling around of the characters, but everybody's getting their fair share of time, and this one really dives into that history. 8.8 out of 10, so I can't stress enough. Like This whole run has just been absolute must-read. So if you haven't picked it up for whatever reason – 
fix that very, very soon because this, like I said, this whole series uh, run has just been absolutely incredible by Boom Studios. Now, flipping over to Image Comics, Arcade Kings number one. Now, Pad, you ever go to an arcade? Yes. You like arcades? I love arcades. This one is going to be one for you. Oh, okay. So this one is done by Dylan Burnett, who you know from Cosmic Ghost Rider. Here's the cover for this pad. Ooh. Now that is something up your alley. That is nice. And it all centers around <clears throat> this uh, character that emerges from Infinite City. And you see his story that he basically winds up in one of the suburbs of Valley Town. And has he winds up saving the nephew of an arcade owner uh, from getting beat up by some punks. And he winds up, uh, for his residency, he's protecting the arcade. Mm-hmm. And he's also, you know, laying low and also helping the nephew, whose name is Rico, um, or Rikio, I'm sorry, uh, you know, r- you know, raise some money there until his past catches up with him. Okay. And then it goes into, like, this really crazy direction. The artwork, uh, which Burnett does, too, is seriously, it's absolutely amazing. And just this whole story, how it plays out, like I say, it's it's a, a really cool issue, a really cool idea. There's a lot of moving parts going on with this, but if you like a little action with your fighting and it's kind of centered, you know, based in an arcade to start with and where it's going to go from here, like it's really got a lot of places it can go. I really dug this series. Like I say, it's one that I definitely think you should check out. Nine out of ten this week. And seriously, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, you definitely want to. It might be a little pricey, $7.99 for the first issue, mm. but well worth it. I'm going to put it out there right now. It definitely has this really cool, high, energetic vibe to it. I really dug reading it. And like I said, the story you know, about the mysterious stranger who uh, emerges the town, like I say, he's, he's a teenager that uh, has got a very complex family history going on. Mm. And just how it all plays out, like I say, there's a lot of stuff that has just not been dived into yet. But as soon as they do, like, it's going to be a big payoff. Last but not least, the absolute, like, like media content, uh, top shelf award winner. Like, I, I cannot find enough ways to praise this book by Black Market Narrative and Image Comics. No one. So this is the mystery uh, that's been going on in the Massiverse. Kyle Higgins. Brian Busaletto and Geraldo Borges. Oh, my God. This whole book has just been not only the book, but the podcast with Patton Oswald and Rachel Lee Cook involved. Okay. Have you checked it out yet? No. You need to. It is just such a just, you know, it's an event. Like, it's not even a comic anymore. It's like just a must read, must listen, must everything with this book. Like, I can't find enough great things to say about this. Because the art, which, Pat, I'm just showing you the cover. Like, how dope is this? That's very nice. Or just, just kills this thing. Yeah. And just how they set it up. Like I say, the mystery is diving a little further about who is no one and what is going on with the murders that are happening in Pittsburgh and just the places this story goes. Like I say, they they focus on changing a couple dynamics up. You do get a little more deep dive into the story and what's happening here. But it doesn't miss its mark. Nine out of ten damn, this, this series is just fucking that good. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. And there is going to be a lot more Massiverse content coming your way to next week, Super Massive Drops. And rumor has it we're going to be having some special guests stopping by the show pad. Mm. Some old friends. Okay. 
And if you even want some more Massiverse content, I got to do a shameless plug. On Nerd Initiative YouTube, myself, uh, Mickey, who uh, goes by the social moniker, cell phone wallet keys, who is an amazing voice actor. Oh, my God, dude. Like, if you haven't heard Mickey's stuff, he's, he's incredible. And Sean from The Caption Life, all kind of teamed up to make this amazing Massiverse 101 introduction in the comic's most exciting universe. So we all got together. Sean did the editing and animation for it. Okay. Mickey did the voice acting and absolutely fucking crushed it. Marty from panel to panel gave me an assist on the script writing. So I took, you know, uh, made basically just a one-on-one on how to get into this universe. If you haven't jumped in yet, it's a, it's a quick watch. They've been doing shorts on there. So shout out to everybody at Nerd Initiative for supporting this. And I know it's been going over well with the Massiverse team. I uh, got a very nice email today saying, uh, this is great. Thank you so much uh, from uh, one Kyle Higgins. So. Oh, nice. So definitely, if you haven't checked it out, uh, make sure to go check it out. Like I say, we'll see. Maybe we can throw the link in the podcast notes on this one. So just can't stress enough, Massiverse is taking over comics. And if you haven't checked out No One, man, I, I, like I say, I get choked up on my words because I just want to rave about No One. Like, we might have to have a separate episode talking about this. And I know our good friend Sean from The Caption Life likes this book, too. So uh, stay tuned. Dot, dot, dot. And as always, we say... Make sure you go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at and support your favorite independent podcast covering comics, too, because we're out there putting a lot of great work in, such as our good friend Brian Wayne from the Cheers of Comics podcast, who was on yesterday talking sports. Pat, if I want to find out about everything that's going on with Brian, everything that's going on with the ODPH, where do we go? ODPHpodcast.com. Short and sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH. That is the home for us. So get familiar, get active, and get involved because we got a lot of stuff going on, especially... This coming weekend, as live stream for the Cure is going down, the links are right on the front page. 10 p.m. Friday, May 19th, Eastern Standard Time. Rich from 3FN and myself are going to be talking No Holds Barred, the Hulk Hogan classic pad. Oh, yeah, brother. Yeah, so we're going to be raising some money for the Cancer Research Institute. Donate if you can. Share the event at the very least. We want to get as much eyes on this you know, wonderful charity as possible. And like I say, shout out to Nick from Nikolai's kitchen and Justin, for, Justin from Epic film guys for doing this every year. This is an honor to be a part of, and there's so many of our friends in the content creating game that are going to be involved with this. So wizards doing a live show. Uh, Stu from SWO is joining the pint to do an episode. Ray from being bookish is doing a show. There's so many other people, and I apologize, I'm forgetting everybody. I don't have the list out in front of me. But that's why I say just drop that follow for twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure. Don't miss a minute of the content and support it how you can. That's all for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.